Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olivest. Today's episode is a first in several different ways. It is our first episode that does not have its roots in a text. It's just going to be a casual, off-the-cuff conversation, and we've never done that before. The second way it's a first is that my guest today is the first man that we're going to have on the podcast. And the way this came about was that my husband and I have been having, of course, lots and lots of conversations over the past, well, since we've known each other, actually. Um, But especially since the podcast started and um, I've been reading all these books, we've been talking a lot about these issues. And I've been talking a lot also with my male friends and with his friends, and he's been having conversations. And so many things have come up that I wanted to do kind of a Q&A episode where we could field some of the questions that are coming in from the men we know. So this is just going to be us responding to questions from men. And I do want to say these are all men that I know personally. They're really, really good people. These are sincere, hearted questions, like really earnest um, questions. And so... Um, without further ado, I'll introduce my reading partner or my discussion partner, um, Eric Olibest. Hi, Eric. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Should we just dive in? Let's do it. Do you want to introduce yourself in any way? No. <laughs> okay. Well, I will. Eric and I met our first week of freshman year of college and... um. I remember the first time we like really hung out, just the two of us, we walked and talked all night until the sun came up. We've been like, and it was about like meaty stuff, right? Like philosophical stuff. Um, That's kind of what our relationship has always been based on. And I want to say that one of our very first dates, we went to Taco Bell (laughs) and I've been longstanding in equality for men and women, because when we went on our very, one of our very first dates, I went up at Taco Bell and I made my order and I paid for it myself and then let Amy make her order and pay for it herself. Yeah. So that's true. We each just dug in our own pockets and found whatever, like cash was jingling around in our pockets and paid for ourselves. Yeah, that's true. And you, I remember too, like on Valentine's day, like I think you twisted some paper into flower shapes and gave them to me. And then I did something similar for you. Yeah. We've always had a really egalitarian relationship, which I didn't have words for that back then. Did you did, was that like a conscious principle that you were enacting or was that just natural? Why, why did we date that way? I don't know. To me, it felt like a rejection, a subconscious rejection of, the way things had always been done. Mm -hmm. Like why did, why did men pay for women? It didn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. What what was the, what was the reason? And because it had no valid reason, it wasn't a valid construct for me. Mm -hmm. Like salad forks. Like salad forks. (laughs) Except (laughs) with implications that we hadn't really processed. But I'm just saying, like, I'm kind of laughing, but that was one of the first things you said to me. I'm just remembering when we were dating. You're like, you know what I hate 
extra silverware on the table. It doesn't. Like, you're so practical. I'm pra- right? I am practical. Yeah. And if there's things that make sense, let's do it. And if there's things that don't, let's not. And two people who don't really know each other at all. Yeah. Like, why does one of them who happens to be the man have to be the one to pay for the other person? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, Now learning why and that the historical nature of that, that it's tied to purchasing, you know, women from their fathers, um, I'm more glad I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. But um, at the time, it just felt off. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want you to either because, yeah, we've talked about that. I had had relationships. And again, I didn't have like a a conscious framework to articulate why why I felt that way, but I was, I very much did not want to be pampered. I, I knew, um, in some way that there were strings attached to that, that I did not want. So I, both of us were looking for an unconventional and egalitarian relationship based on different previous life experiences, but wouldn't you say? Yeah. And I think we didn't know why, but I, yeah, we, we were. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that attracted, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have a typical courtship. Our courtship was based a lot on teasing and playing games and intellectual banter. It didn't have a lot to do, you know, had zero to do with flowers and, you know. Wooing. Yeah, it was no wooing. So (laughs) there was no wooing. Yeah. Yeah. And like kind of some friendly competition of sparring and like testing each other out to make sure we were equals. Right. Cause we both knew that was what we were looking for. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if this is a direction we want to go, but I do know that I did consciously, there was many things that were subconscious for me, but I did consciously recognize that I had come from some debilitating environment for women. I had seen it in the kind of in the home life and of those around me. I had seen what, kind of traditional stuff had done to women. And I was looking for something different from that. Um, Someone who had, who wanted more than just the domestic life. And I am, I love the domestic life. I'm a, I'm very domestic myself, Mm -hmm. but I felt like I wanted someone who had aspirations beyond that. Mm Yeah. Yeah. It is so interesting. This is funny. This is another way. This is a new thing on this podcast. We have like no safety net. We're not looking at an outline or anything. And I'm Eric and I met so long ago and now reflecting on these things from so long ago with the perspective we have now, it's kind of like kind of touching for me to see in, in retrospect that we had both seen the wounded woman and that I was very much fighting back against that being a woman But it was totally subconscious. I talked about that on the Mary Wollstonecraft episode that I like did not wear anything feminine, that I was like I carried a guy's wallet around. I was really pushing back. I think I was very afraid of becoming that. And so I was really pushing hard back against that, what I had seen in women and that you as a guy were like, oh, I don't want that either. Because I think we both perceived kind of a – I want to be careful with my words, but there was a weakness there, but I look back at it and I think I feel sad about it. It's not that women are weak. It's that they are weakened by the system. They are weakened. They were wounded by the system. They they had their wings clipped so hard. Yeah. And so, 
yeah, I mean, they were weak, but not of their own. It right. was the system around them. And, you know, I looked at a lot of the mothers of my best friends and what their lives look like, how they, how, you know, who they were and what they valued and what they talked about and how they perceived themselves. And these are things you kind of subconsciously pick up on as, a, you know, as a young teenage man, but you, it was just, I, I did. And, and, you know, I admit it now I did. I associated weakness with women. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I met a feisty little Scottish <laughs> girl first week of, uh, of college, um, that was, that was new for me. Mm -hmm. It's sad. It makes me so sad because I think we both really devalued women at that point in our lives. I think we both did because of what we had seen, because of what they had been constrained to be right. Yeah. And you don't know the reasons, no, you know, you, know. we didn't know the reasons mm -hmm. I didn't know. I mm -hmm. just thought that was women. Mm -hmm. I thought, and I think that's part, I still think that many of my friends and many people in our founding culture think that is women mm -hmm. and they haven't stepped out enough to see that, that, that a lot of that isn't men and women are different, but yeah. I think a, a lot of people think that women are that way because that's the way they are, not because of that's how they've been weakened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is sad because I do remember getting the comment a lot like, oh, from you and from like your friends and other people like, oh, you're not like most girls. And that was the compliment, right? You didn't. Yeah. And again, I mean, that's what I guess we're both saying and that that like really grieves me now to think of this kind of the distance that I wanted to have from being a woman and the distance you wanted me to have from being a woman because, because of that. And that's something that we're trying to like redeem and rehabilitate, right? Is like, it's not being a woman that's weak. It's just, again. And it grieves me to think, to have associated that, right? Yeah. To, to think that that's how women are just strictly because of their nature versus understanding or taking the time to understand the context in which they were, um, w in which their self identity was formed. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I did, I blamed it all on nature and, and no context for, for the nurture. Yeah. Well, yeah, that was a good, good convo, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Should we get to the Q and A? Sure. And by the way, now that we have three daughters, aren't you glad we figured all of this out? I'm so glad. <laughs> Okay. Do you want to take it away? Do you want to take the first question? I think the one that you highlighted is the first one on our list. Sure. It's, it's, it's a longer couple of paragraphs um, from, from a friend. It says, I believe our current system of patriarchy goes back since before we were humans to when we were apes and perhaps even earlier mammals. When our, whenever our ancestors and animals began bonding together in small groups for the benefits of protection, for the sharing of food, the caring of the young and any such benefits. At the top of all of it was likely a male, mammal, ape, human. He likely ruled in a manner similar to his father's before him. As the leader of the group, he received privileges and status, and he did whatever he could to lead the group, but also to maintain his status. This hierarchy made nearly all other members of the group subservient to him, whether in whole or in part. So to me, so much of the patriarchy today, the fact that men have ruled the world for nearly all these years, 
is likely a direct result of the millions of years of similar structures that existed before. So many women and men are passive because it's been in their DNA for millennia. End of quote. I think one of the most frequent observations I hear about patriarchy among men is that this is the way it's always been. And I, I don't think... Um, I don't think that's worth arguing against in that I, I think there's plenty of historical record in my view to say that, you know, for most of the animal kingdom and for most of human history, men have dominated. And within that, as this quote points out, most other male ha- males have been dominated too. Males um, have dominated females, you mean? They, no, males have dominated oh, other males. Got it, yeah. They've dominated all females and most other males. Got it, yep. And so this, is, this patriarchy isn't just against females, but against other weaker males as well, um, and, and continues that way. But th- this notion that someone emerges as kind of a, you know, tyrannical leader or some kind of maybe not tyrannical, maybe that's historical more by, by, you know, sheer physical force, but now through economic force or through, you know, uh, just the sheer, um, tradition that we have and how everything's been laid out. Uh, yes, men, men in particular, white men have been dominant for so long. And so is that biologically driven? If so, can it be unwound? Should it be unwound? Um, and also this other point is that that many men, among men, there are passive men and there's more aggressive men. And then among women, there are, you know, this this person would be arguing that, that more women are passive um, because they have been passive for so long. And that was a self-selecting trait uh, evolutionarily. Do you want to say anything? Yeah. Yeah, I would just say like, yeah, I agree. I mean, and when you and I, <laughs> we have a joke, right? That anytime we, there's a question that Eric, <laughs> that you're like, so when humans evolved, like that's always where you go. Like, and, and I do the same thing. I'm like, we'll back up or we'll wait back up. And we always like back way up. So I agree that, that um, evolutionary biology is oh, a, a valid place to start and survival of the fittest and strongest makes sense. Um, and yeah, females do of lots of species do tend to be smaller and weaker physically. And Gerda Lerner talks about how, and, and many, I mean, we, you read this in lots of different places, right? That when humans started walking upright, then it was harder. The, the pelvis is narrow. It's hard to birth the babies and humans are getting smart or smarter, bigger heads, bigger skulls. And so babies are born um, more prematurely in order to fit through the female's pelvis. Thus, the females have to take care of those babies for a long, long time. And that makes them vulnerable, right? So they're smaller, typically smaller, weaker, more vulnerable. They have to be taken care of. And, um, so they can't come along on the hunts and stuff. So there, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Um, that I know where it talks, Harari talks about that in the book Sapiens also, that's a really good place to read about it. But, um, I think my main point to other men would be 
why did we maybe take some observations or some historical um, or, or even evolutionary things and then turn that into prescriptions about what people can and can't do? Mm-hmm. I don't know why we have to make that leap. Um well, so this is where like reading, this is why it's been so useful to read all of these books because we read about in the chalice and the blade that it actually wasn't an unbroken line of evolution that had males just in power the whole time, right? There is evidence of egalitarian societies um, all over the world, lots of different societies. So it's not inevitable that just because the males are bigger and in general bigger, in general stronger, that they're that that equates to a system wherein they, you know, make all of the laws and the rules. Um, There have been exceptions to that. The other thing is that um, there is one example in the animal kingdom where the bonobos, as you know, um, the the female bonobos monkeys, uh, or actually they're not monkeys, are they? They're They're apes. They're They're great apes like us. And so, and the, the, um, Females band together to keep the males in check. That's a true matriarchy in bonobos. And when I read about that, I thought then the females must be bigger and stronger, but they're not. Proportionally, they're the same size as as humans are, but the females have figured out how to um, band together. And whenever a male is getting really aggressive and um, like cornering a female, they just a big group of, of females comes to the female's rescue and and they'll use physical force against the male. So they've that's you know an example in nature, but it does require females to work together because they're smaller, I guess. The other thing is that this friend who wrote that also said that you know in the evolutionary process we're now at a stage where there's rational thinking and with the ability to reason and communicate um, we have the opportunity to have empathy for each other and to act intentionally instead of just at the mercy of our biological impulses, right? I mean, that's why society exists. That's why we have rules is so that the the alpha, the big strong man can't come in and rape and pillage and take over everything. That's the whole reason we have society, societies. And so to say that it's always been that way and thus must always be that way doesn't really even make sense when we look at what what's the role of any ethical code. Right? Yeah, I mean, there's so many examples. If, if people are using biology to excuse or explain or solidify patriarchy, I mean, that would also then, you can use biology to then bolster the arguments for infanticide where, you know, the strongest male will kill the offspring of, you know, that aren't his within right. a lion's pride or something like, you, you, you know, we, we've moved beyond that argument about what should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and nature isn't, can't, can't be our prescriptive, you know, document for how, you know, hum, humans um, should be acting now, but it does explain perhaps the journey of how we got here. That, mm-hmm. that, that makes sense, but it's certainly, um, shouldn't be dictating our future. I agree. One more thing though, I, I would say I was really surprised when I read the creation of patriarchy by Lerner, how much she did not talk about physical size and strength. It was so much more about like historical process in the agricultural revolution. She talks about how earlier, earlier in evolutionary history, like with the hunter gatherer period, it was much more egalitarian. And so physical size and strength wasn't as much of a factor as I expected it to be 
in learner's work and in other places that I've read too. It was more about agriculture and how that changed. In her, again, in the book Sapiens, Harari talks about that too. It's much more um, cultural influences and less physical than I expected. Well, that makes sense to me because as soon as people were able to talk they, you know, and communicate, they were able to move beyond that realm. And that's right. been for a really long time. And so, you know, one other thing that I think about often is, you know, they say, well, women, you know, you know, historically women haven't been able to do this or shouldn't be able to do this because of their size or, you know, or because of their nature. But there's also a lot of men who are really small right. or really docile or really something. And no one says, hey, well, it's only men who are above, you know, you know, five foot X that can do this thing or should be able to do this job. No men are, are prohibited from doing those things surely because of their physical size, you know, yep. but women are routinely, regardless of their physical size or any other traits they have, just blanket kept out of or discouraged or prohibited. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't apply, you know, you can't use that same argument because that that opportunity is available to all men, regardless of their um, physical or mental, uh, you know, strengths, but prohibited for all women. And that and that's really the biggest problem um, is how prescriptive it is with, with zero context other than man woman. It's mm -hmm. just such a such an ugly line to draw with that doesn't doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And for, and obviously for the man to also be saying to for for one group to say I'm going to be the one to draw the line. I'm going to be the one to define the terms. I'm going to be the one who decides and kind of tells you what the differences are between our sexes and our gender, right? Like if it's if it's a group together, you know, doing research and commenting and making the rules about what's going to happen. That's, that's a totally different thing than the men doing all of that and, and telling the women what the rules are going to be for both. Right. Yeah. And, and there's one other part of that in, in this, the first thing that we read from, from a friend, you know, it said that women have, um, you know, maybe their DNA has evolved to this, to kind of be more this way. Um, but I, I think one just major thing that I always think about is, and something that Amy, you, you've said is we don't even know. Right. We don't even know because women for so long have been told, you know, whether it's Aristotle saying this thing or whether it's this other thinker saying the other thing, almost throughout all history, women have been told since birth that they are lesser. So we don't even know what women are capable of. We don't even know what their true natures are, except now we're barely perhaps starting to see this in certain more progressive societies of, you know, maybe certain cities in, in, in the U.S. and certain countries. And, um, and so we're barely starting to see and we're seeing, you know, frankly, there's data and, and examples and the shift of the number of politicians of gender. We're seeing all these things change when historically people have said, well, it's in their DNA, but it's not. It's in the messaging they've been receiving for so long that it's been just a blanket on top of whatever that is. And so it's been impossible to even dig down in and, and know what the real, you know, nature versus nurture is on that. Yep, exactly. You just quoted Mill. Is John Stuart Mill that talked about that a lot, that there's no way to know what a woman is because she's been like basically in a cage <laughs> the yeah. whole time, right? 
um, yeah, and just in field after field of um, endeavor, things that people thought women couldn't do, women do all the time now and we don't even think about it. And so women in chess is one, like women in tech, is it like there's, there's, you know, frontiers that where that hasn't happened quite yet. And people say, oh, it's differences in their brains. It's differences in their DNA. And who knows? Let's just see. Let's have open Let's minds see. and see what happens. But we don't know everything. Okay, yeah. what's your next thing? What's the next quote that you wanted to say? Um, the next quote is from another of my friends. And he writes, when I brought up your podcast and Eric's thoughts to my conservative Christian brother, his response was, oh, brother, not again. But I told him I think it's an interesting topic, and he just sighed and said how tired he is of all of it. End quote. Um, I get this a lot as, you know, when when it's just when it's just a bunch of white guys sitting around in a room, there is a fatigue of listening to um the problems. And there is a there's an expressed fatigue. Um and I want to address that because on the one hand, I, I understand as a man, as a, as, a, as a white man, I understand that of like, yes, I know this problem exists. I am, don't know how or if I'm personally responsible for it. I don't know what to do different. Tell me or let's stop talking about it. I, and I have felt that way at times. Um but I've come to learn more about that throughout this process of dealing with uh, gender and race inequality. Um, and while I, while I understand the, oh, brother, not again, I think that is just real laziness and real um, lack of, again, understanding one's own privilege. You have the privilege of saying, Oh, brother, not again, and just not listening because it's not a part of your daily life because this life was already set up for you to not have to think about it because you're the default. And so it is our responsibility as men um, to, to listen and to not feel tired of it, to not just think this is annoying because this is the real lived experience for the entire other half of humanity. And to dismiss that because it's kind of boring for you or because it doesn't relate to you or because you're tired of being told about it, um, frankly shows a lot of immaturity. Um, though I admit to at times being immature. Well, so how I thank you for that. And I think that's great. I also know that, like we've had this conversation too about um, the tone when women ex women or you know as as a white person when we hear people of color express anger and hurt and that sometimes um, people in positions of privilege can feel attacked personally and like blamed for things and there's the whole hashtag not all men um, response to women's um, grievances, I guess. And then if, if you're talking about race, there's like the whole all lives matter, you know, counter to black lives matter. We'll just talk about gender just for the sake of simplicity right now. But what's your response to that? Like the not all men argument? 
when you feel attacked, for example. Not when someone's like, hey, I'm hurting, but when someone's like, oh, I'm sick. Like if you have a woman who's like, men, I'm so sick of men and that. How do you metabolize that? I mean, there is a part of me that's, you know, if I just listen to my most base response, I, you know, I just want to be very dismissive and say, she's not talking about me. I'm not, you know, or she is and she doesn't know me. But I, I have found that it does take work. Like this isn't, this isn't easy, but it, it does take work and it does take, I'm not, I'm not trying to call myself mature in all ways, but it takes a maturity to, to hear the words that someone's saying in anger and turn those into, and, and interpret those into what is it, what does it really mean? And what it means is I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with the way things have been done. I'm frustrated with the messages I've been forced to internalize. I'm frustrated with how I was treated by another man or many other men historically. And that's not me. And that's, and that's okay, but there is a frustration there. And so I think it as, as one human to another and as someone who does care, I can do the small, very simple amount of work that it takes to just, you know, dispassionately somewhat listen and realize that that person is talking about a situation or talking about a big feeling or having a big emotional response, which is merited. Um, and I don't need to, you know, be super picky about the language that they're using or, you know, petty about, well, you know, you said it in this way. It's just, it's just not the right time and place to do that. Um, so I think it's just about giving space to have that experience. Like, that's a real feeling for them. That's a real emotion. They're having really lived experiences. And I, I just need to give space to that. And instead of internalizing that as a me problem, why, you know, the, the, it's not about me. It's about the other person. But I think, I think oftentimes in these conversations, men can be a little lazy. They can be a little immature. They can be a little defensive about it. And they can be focused then on, on themselves about, well, this is what I'm hearing. Well, it's your turn to listen. Um, Amy and I have, you know, a very clear set of steps when one person's upset that one person starts as the listener and just as a good listener and a good validator. And like for me as a white man, it's listening time for me and I'm not taking it personally and I'm just being very empathetic and sympathetic and very patient um, and being a good listener and being a good listener. And, that, and that's really all it is. Yeah. I think that helps a lot. One thing we talked about too is a, another friend of ours that I had a conversation with on the phone not too long ago. And he said that he, he like, he doesn't support patriarchy, but he doesn't, he doesn't think that the project of breaking down patriarchy is a good idea. And I said, or the right way to go or something. And I said, well, which part of breaking down patriarchy? Because it means like breaking it down in, in order to understand it. And it also means dismantling it. And he said, I don't think either one is good. And I said, well, if you don't support the system of male supremacy, then why would you not support breaking it down in either way? And long story short, as he kind of talked me through it, he's just like, I, I just like don't think that like sitting here and just hammering on this over and over again with like book after book and grievance after grievance is like the way to do it. And I, I think in the end, it just came down to like, it's not fun. And I do have empathy. I, I feel, 
I, I can understand that that would not be easy at all. But I, I think he just, some people, when they see someone in pain, are willing to endure the discomfort of just saying like, I can see you're in pain. What can I do to help you heal? And some people are just like, well, it's not my fault, right? I mean, some people are just so uncomfortable with any kind of implication that they might have contributed to the problem or something. I just felt like he was so uncomfortable and so unwilling to sit with the uncomfortable fact that, that, you know, his, a group that he is a part of has oppressed and hurt, deeply hurt people. That was so uncomfortable for him that he's just like, no, I don't want to hear about it. And he didn't. And that was hard for me because he's a friend of mine. Right. And so I was like, almost in tears, just like, can you not care about me enough to see that I am in pain? But it wasn't about my pain. It was about his discomfort with even, he couldn't even have the conversations. And I just said, well, I guess if you're not interested in the history of it, you don't need to keep listening to my podcast then. But I need to go through that work of understanding my history in order for me to heal. And I think that women need to do that in order to heal and in order to be empowered and to not keep being um, kind of victimized by this system. We need to understand the system that we're working in. And he didn't even have the capacity to have the conversation. He didn't want to hear about it because he just made it, it, it was so uncomfortable for him. Yeah. And honestly, I strongly relate to that. Um, when you first said that, you said that you know, that people, you know, should listen and then say, how can I help or what can I do? And I do think that as a man, that's probably the hardest part of this for me is I do have a much lower threshold for sitting with it and talking with it about it than I perceive many other people do. Hmm. I have a lower threshold for, I'm, I'm action oriented. I want to get quickly get to, okay, then what can I do? Mm -hmm. I, I don't have a high tolerance for tell me more about it sometimes and just the emotional processing of it. I just, it's a very small bucket and whether that's biological or whether that's just my particular nature or whether it's how I grew up, I don't know, but I do, I have a small, I have a small bucket for that and it fills up fast. And if I'm not doing the work to like empty that out and refill it and like, Ooh, I'm in here. Okay. Yep. I'm listening. Okay. Yep. I'm back at it. I'm listening because I want to do two things. Either I want to do something about it. Like, got it. Something's not good. Skip to the end. Tell me what I can do differently <laughs> and I'll do that thing. But I have to admit, I don't like the process. Mm -hmm. I don't like the process of listening. Mm -hmm. I don't like the process of being told all the things that I did wrong. I don't like the process of being told all the things that someone else did wrong. It's not in my nature. Men don't, and, and my, I mean, let me not say men. My friends and I don't sit around and talk about things that are bothering us that much. Like it's, or if we do, it's just short. And so I think there is something about that. And again, maybe it's just how we've been trained, but I think it's really hard it's really hard for men to sit with stuff, mm -hmm. to just straight up listen. It's an it's a learned skill for me mm. and one that I don't always do well at. You do really well at it. 
And I'm grateful for it. And I do wonder, I mean, part of this, like why there's so much material coming up for people is I feel like because there's this kind of bottling that goes on, like through a whole lifetime of pain and again, like wounds and like, uh, I'm, I am careful to use the term microaggressions cause I think it can be overused, but it, those are real, right? Like slights and, um, things that happen throughout a lifetime that just make you feel terrible, but you're gaslighted into thinking that it's you that's the problem. And then suddenly there can be like this huge, like, oh my gosh, like it's like all this poison that's built up and then it is all coming out. And I can understand that for a man that like, um, didn't, wasn't responsible for any of those Although maybe sometimes you are accidentally, but certainly didn't cause all of them in this, any particular person's life and certainly wasn't the architect of this system would never have chosen to make it this way either for you to get like this tsunami of poison would be really, really hard. And especially when the bad guy is like a man and you're like, are you saying it's me? So I get it. Like when people say not all men, I just want to put it out there too. Like, that's true. Not all men are abusers. In fact, I feel lucky most of the vast majority of interactions I've had with men in my life have been beautiful and positive. And I, I really love men and I feel sad. Um, I get emotional too, because, um, I do think it's real, especially like for kids, but actually for adults too. But um, I'm just thinking about that book that came out in France that's called I Hate Men. Literally, that's the title. And it came out a couple months ago. And we were talking about it in the family. And um, I cried because I have a son who's still really young. And to think of him as his psyche is forming and his as his self-concept is forming, he's going to grow up and be a man. And there's That's inevitable. That's... The, what's going to happen to him. And if he absorbs a message that women hate him because of, of who he is or that he's bad, that he's bad because he's a man, I can't let that happen to him. And, and we talked about that a lot um, and talked about like the way he can be a good man is to be aware that, that these are the bad behaviors and here is the system that disadvantages women and girls. And here's the system of white supremacy that disadvantages people of color and that to be a hero, he does need to be a good listener and an upstander and to um, be an egalitarian and that that's the way that he can be a good boy and man. But just that message of like, men are bad breaks my heart because they're not. And you're a good man. What do you think about that? Yeah, I um honestly it doesn't bother me personally. I for whatever reason, I don't I I think pretty specifically some point in the last few years since there's been there's been a lot of extremism in a lot of ways in the last few years and I kind of made a decision that I wasn't going to listen to the the 10% on any extreme of any topic. Mm-hmm. And so if someone has said something out of that 10% extreme, I don't actually pay attention to it or internalize it at all. And so I think whoever wrote a book entitled it, I hate men, unless they were doing it ironically, um, it would just be something that I would ignore. Mm. Um, well, 
And maybe maybe that person has really great things to say, but if they're using extremist rhetoric in some way, then it's just it's not something I personally internalize. So that it doesn't bother me. But I think what it does do is it makes it very easy for other men to then discredit all of that stuff. Right, exactly. And that's the harm that's done. Right. Um, and, and that's the harm that's done on, on the political spectrum as well. People on the far of one side do something and it makes it very easy for the other side to discredit all of it. And it's and it's the same here. Um, I'll say one thing though is one thing that Sophie pointed out when we were talking about the book is she said, it makes me want to ask the author what happened to you. Because usually when people have hatred and like that kind of anger, it's from deep hurt. And I think that's what you were saying earlier when you're, and this is what we have done for each other, right? Like what you referred to that it's one side's turn to listen. And when somebody comes to you upset, even like throwing fists, I think the best thing, it's really hard to do. But it's a really, really beautiful thing to do if you can say, like, what's behind that anger? What's behind that hatred? And usually it's hurt. And um, I read a review, and it is true. This woman, like, suffered terrible abuse and um, has worked with abuse victims, too. And so um, I just think when somebody's – it's like that dark, Martin Luther King quote that the – the riot is the language of the unheard, right? And sometimes anger, like you, you just think of any human being like crying and yelling, um, where's that coming from? And sometimes re- real healing can happen when somebody says like, I'm going to just going to be, I'm just going to be willing to go deeper and try to see if I can understand what this person is experiencing and I'm not going to take it personally. And I will say too, with not all men, that's, that's, I guess, I know it's a tough ask, but if a woman is expressing hurt and pain to say not all men, even though that is true, that not all men are like that, it immediately just shuts the conversation down. And I think that's why it's so, um, that's why it got a hashtag. And that's why women have a really hard time with that phrase is because when you're trying to express something that's really painful and hard, to have someone say, well, not don't talk like that. Well, don't say it like that and just react defensively. It just makes it so you can't even get, you can't, you can't get anywhere in the conversation. Um, here's another question comment from a friend of mine who says, what's so, Oh, I need to take out the trash. <laughs> it's one of my domestic duties. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's not a duty. I, and I always say thank you. And I'll you do did. it. Should we renegotiate that? I'm happy to I don't, do we it. We don't need to renegotiate There's nothing it. gendered it's about fine. that. There's nothing gendered about it. I am a good rememberer of tasks that happen once a week. That's true. Better than I am. Okay. All right. Here is a quote from one of my friends who asked, what's so bad about patriarchy? It's gotten us so many good things this world enjoys, end quote. And um, <laughs> this is a uh, this is just such an interesting question. In that, to me, it just seems so simple. Um, I mean, that's th- it's it to me is equivalent of saying, "What's so bad about slavery?" It's gotten us so many good things that you know white people in America enjoy. 
or what's so bad about colonialism? Like, or what's so bad about like Western expansion and conquest? It's, it's gotten us so many good things that we enjoy. Um, I, I don't know. It just seems like a really easy, it seems like a very lazy question um, that somehow you can gloss over all the, the individual harm and collective harm by just saying, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff we, we, that, that, that came from it, or there's a lot of great things we enjoy now, um, despite the cost. And I, may, maybe there are people who do truly believe that. And I think all of the people who truly believe that are all of the people who are on the benefit side and not on the harm side of that. Um, and then I think there's a whole bunch of people who are also lazy thinkers about that. Um, but when I think about all the harm, what's so bad about patriarchy? To me, that's like the easiest possible question to answer. What's so bad about 51% of the population feeling like they are worse than the other 49% of the population? A lot. What's so bad about um, one group of people being narrowly defined and put into uh, and having their freedoms and opportunities reduced dramatically so that the other half can benefit um, a lot. And from there, you can just get deeper and deeper into specifics. Uh, you know, and, and I hesitate to name all of the other horrible things because there's just so many and they're so obvious. Um, but let's just start with the base one that 50% of people have a ton of extra freedom and benefits and privilege at the cost of the other 50%. And that's just straight wrong. Mm -hmm. I wonder, so when I read this too, this comes from a person that we both love a lot. And this is a person I think who just hasn't thought about it much and maybe doesn't realize like the actual definition of the word patriarchy because this is a Mormon guy. And for Mormons, patriarchy kind of does have a positive connotation because for us, if you say like patriarchal, like fill in the blank, a Mormon would say probably blessing or patriarchal, like just the patriarchs, you just associate them with like really friendly and loving grandpas. <laughs> um, we don't realize that patriarchy, like the actual definition, it's, it's a, a system of society or government in which men hold power and women are excluded from that power. So men have power over women. Like that's the real definition. And I don't know that he was responding to that. I'm sure right? you're right. Cause he's such a good guy, but that, but, but sadly it's people who haven't really thought about it, who accidentally end up perpetuating unjust systems and, and they don't mean to cause further harm. They haven't invented the system, but they end up perpetuating the system because they're not, um, educated about it. And, um, and there are people today, Jordan B. Peterson is one who actually does support patriarchy and has said that, you know, patriarchy has gotten us many good things that this world enjoys and we wouldn't have Western civilization without it. And, um, and that's true. We wouldn't have Western civilization as we know it without patriarchy. Um, but, this reminds me also of, I'm just going to really quickly read one part of this post that I, I, I try not to ever read the comments sections on things I put online. My sisters always tell me, Amy, do not read the comments. And I don't, but I did once. Um, but he wrote after something that I posted, he wrote, why has patriarchy lasted so long and prospered so much? 
I get an impression that she, meaning me, she's absorbing all this info about what the history is and how to interpret. Kudos to her for that, but not as good of a job thinking critically about it. And based on her mentioning the high prevalence throughout the world history of a dominator society conquering an egalitarian matrifocal society, one reason I come up with would be that they understood the benefit of patriarchy toward protecting and preserving their society from being destroyed by an outside force, which begs the question, which is worse, the oppression suffering that seems inherent in a patriarchal system or the vulnerability to an outside force that seems inherent of a matriarchal system? Um, my personal opinion so far is that we will never be able to fully get rid of patriarchy, and I don't think we need to or should, since her citation has shown us how much worse the alternative is. At least some suffering will be inevitable, no matter what kind of system we have. The best we can do is regulate and modify it to reduce the damage. And that's what America and Western Civ have already been doing for a while now. Um, and And then he says... I find it unfortunate that she said so much about ways in which patriarchy has hurt people, but no mention of how it has helped people, of which I'm sure much could also be said. That seemed one-sided of a perspective. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to, to say about that. Um, I agree with the point that the... I mean, he's right. The peaceful egalitarian societies were conquered partly because they didn't invest as much into their militaries. Um, they were like the Minoans were more vulnerable to attack, for example. Um, and it's true that a tiny minority of men throughout time have sought like aggressive expansion and domination over, like you said, all the other men and over all the women. And that I agree, like there's, there's always going to be a Genghis Khan or there's going to be a a Pol Pot, or there's going to be a Hitler, and we have to invest into militaries in order to protect ourselves from those bad actors in the world. But then he makes this leap to that that that, that necessitates patriarchy, um, and so for me that doesn't make sense because I like I what I would envision in an egalitarian society would be like men and women in equal numbers in equitable numbers coming together in councils and saying how much we should we invest into the military, right? Like I, he made a huge jump from like, we need a military to protect ourselves from bad guys, which I agree with, right? Like I actually sure. agree with, and that anybody who wants, by the way, anyone who wants to serve in that military should be able to, whether they're male or female, whoever can do the job well and who wants to do the job and is qualified should be able to join and protect the country in which they live from bad actors. Perfect. Great. Where's the logical leap from, yeah. from we need a military to men should rule over women. To women shouldn't go to school. Right. Or women shouldn't, you know, shouldn't do this. There's shouldn't, shouldn't, can't, shouldn't. Can't vote, can't drive, can't leave home without an escort, have to cover their bodies from head to toe, can't go to school right? They, they can be married off when they're 11 years old by their fathers. This still happens all over the world. Yeah. And right? then, but then this person might say, yeah, but we're beyond that. Like none of that happens anymore. All of those things. <laughs> okay. So then let me just ask a very specific, cause I think I know where this person's from is like, okay, so why then if armies, if we need to have strong armies, then why does that mean that women can't um, handle financial transactions in your church? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the dots you're connecting there? 
right. where somehow the patriarchy that men get to determine what jobs men and women can can't do is going you know why would it weaken our society to where now we're so much more vulnerable to being attacked and overthrown if there's a woman who's your ward clerk like help me draw the line there mm-hmm. well no what it is is this consistent undermining of women and telling them that they're not qualified in order to do these things and that is that is what it that, that patriarchy that's how it persists whether it's in your business place or your place of worship it's the constant messaging to women that oh oh you're great you just stay in this little separate corner and do these things you're really good at these things let the men take care of that we'll do all this other work so you don't have to. And oftentimes it's couched in this like benevolence and in this protection. And back to Amy's earlier point, this patriarchy in the in the LDS culture traditionally is, oh, it's just this warm, loving, protective overseer, oh, looking out for my best interests. But what isn't looked at is all the damage that's being done there long-term telling women that they're too weak to do these things. And so that's, that's the underlying piece of that. And I don't understand why we can't, to Amy's point, why can't we can't be a strong society, but also have equal opportunity. Mm -hmm. And that's the connection I don't make is why does being strong or why does men and women being different, why does that then equal, turn into prescriptions about what men and women can and can't do? Mm Mm-hmm. That difference needs to equal one is superior and the other is inferior just because they're different from each other, yeah. right? And that one group would get to determine what <laughs> traits are considered superior and what are considered Or inferior. even not if superior or inferior, just different. But in saying different, it's mm-hmm. prescribed what that difference is exactly. and prescribed by one side. Well, you're equal because you do the men's equal job and you do the women's equal job, but why does it have to say, well, that's exactly what that is? Mm-hmm. Whether rather than just letting, you know, the individual person kind of choose out. Mm-hmm. And the the prescriptive nature of it is what, what really drives me crazy. Um women can't do this, women shouldn't do this, shouldn't wear this, shouldn't look like this, shouldn't have this kind of job, shouldn't be talking about these types of things. Um, and if you're a good woman, you do it this way. And if you're a good man, you do it this way. And all of that prescriptive stuff is 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 obviously super bad for women, and it's also not great for men. Um, and there can just be equal opportunity in there. Yeah. Okay, I do have two more things Very that true. I wanted to um, um, to address real quick because one of the things you said reminded me of it that you said you know that men kind of um, prescribe and police. Well, we were both talking about it, that men do this and women do that. And one of the things that came up in lots of the comments was, well, women do that too, right? That sometimes women are bossy or women are women can be super aggressive. And another one that came up was like, well, women seem to not be bo- – a lot of women don't even – mind patriarchy or or they perpetuate patriarchy too and they uphold it right and so how can that be like if women are really oppressed then why are they continually like um upholding the system and that's a i feel like a really great question it's actually a pretty simple answer i just started the book cast by isabel wilkerson 
um, where she talks about um, racial inequalities and caste systems all over the world, but there are all kinds of different caste systems. We all buy into them. When we're, we're, we believe what our parents tell us, we absorb what we see in our communities, whatever, what all the adults, what all the loved and trusted adults are doing in our communities, we think is normal and good, right? And um, there's this concept too of the panopticon of patriarchy, which which we talk about in our episode on the awakening, but it's th- this concept of like the panopticon is, it means all seeing of course, and that there's this um, building with an kind of like the eye of Sauron, this all seeing eye in the middle um, that just ha- there's this kind of pulsing like presence from the middle. And so all it's a prison and all of the prisoners in their different cells always feel watched. And because they feel watched, they um they never know like whether they're technically being watched or not but they will police each other because they always like they're kind of always aware of this kind of all seeing eye thing and i think especially in conservative religions but i think this has been the way it's worked throughout all time and throughout all cultures is when there's that really dominating force coming from the middle that then everybody buys into that. Everybody is policing each other. And of course, if you grow up thinking, you know, without having ever seen anything else to compare it to, then of course you're going to be, you know, this panopticon is so um, effective because you actually don't have to see everybody because everybody else is perpetuating the rules and and, um, enforcing the rules for you. So, Again, like nobody who is alive right now invented the system. It's been going for so long that we don't even see it. But of course, women uphold the system. Also, a lot of women, I mean, they've been told that that's how to be a good person, right? That's how they, that's how you please the powerful, you know, people in your life. And, and I think of like Malcolm Gladwell's blink and that we're constantly, our brains are constantly scanning for these these micro messages in people's faces. I think we all want to be safe. We all want to be loved. And we're all scanning the faces and the body language for what are the rules here? What am I doing here? What's my place here? And if everybody around you is giving you the message that in order to be safe, in order to be loved, in order for your parents to accept you, in order for God to accept you, then this is your role as a girl and a woman, then of course that's what you're going to believe, right? Because there's this kind of overseeing eye. There's this overarching like umbrella. We're all in it. Or it's like the matrix. There's like all these different metaphors that you could use. We're all plugged in and you don't know any different. And so of course girls and women are going to go along with it. Like the caste system in India. Of course there are going to be people in every different caste that kind of wake up and go like, wait, this isn't right. And there are going to be the majority in every different level of that caste system that are going to say like, my role is to be the best garbage taker outer that I can be because that's what I was born into. It's just how caste systems work. Um, yeah. it. I, I don't think that this, the self-acceptance of a reality by the by even the majority of people is a validation of its goodness. <laughs> I mean, 
You've got the entire nation of North Korea, of which the majority of people think that North Korea is the best country on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you have you had the majority of people uh, in the South who were in favor of slavery. So it's not like somehow you know you get enough people together and it means that it's everything's okay. I, I, it's just not. Um, it's not a strong enough argument, um, especially in the face of when it's just blatant violations of um, human human rights, of equality and freedom from subjugation. Yeah. Okay, last one. This came up a bunch too in various forms. This is from a different friend. He says, can we disentangle masculinity and patriarchy? It can be heard as breaking or tearing down what men are made of, breaking down what men have made, um, illuminating the inherent badness of maleness and men. Is this what you want? This is our friend's question to me. Then you need to differentiate between masculinity and patriarchy. So I 100% agree. I think that's really important to differentiate between masculinity and patriarchy. Again, I keep defining patriarchy is a system. It's not a particular man. It's not even a particular group of men. Patriarchy is a system wherein a, wherein a group of men makes the rules for everybody else. They create the symbol systems. They define the terms for all the other men and for all the women. And they exclude women from the governing structure so that women don't have the ability to change the rules for themselves. So men have power over women in a patriarchy. That's the definition masculinity is completely different from that. And I think masculinity is complicated. We were just talking about this at dinner the other night with our kids, kind of debating it, not debating it, but kind of exploring it together. Um, Sarah Grimke is an author who says that um, she doesn't love dividing virtues into masculine virtues and feminine virtues. She says there's just human virtues. Um, And of course, what she was reacting to was that 19th century notion when she was alive that men, like you and I talked about, that we had kind of internalized a little bit that men are strong. And if men are strong, then, you know, the opposite is that women are weak and men are leaders. That means women are followers. Um, And then women are emotional, so men are not emotional. Right, exactly. And that doesn't serve anybody well, right? Masculinity is it's just like a, it's a description on a gender spectrum, right? And I even learned that at BYU, that gender is a spectrum, that we, every human being has a ton of different traits. And like Sarah Grimke didn't like classifying them, but, but some people are fine classifying them that on one side there's masculinity and on the other side, there's traits that, that our societies consider feminine. Um, and, and I remember our, Mormon professor saying like that, that relationships that are successful are when there's like androgyny, andro meaning male and geni meaning female, right? Like that, that having balance is actually great. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about masculinity? Cause I see you for example, as being like, what's the difference between patriarchy and masculinity? I just look at you, Eric, like you are in my perception like a super masculine man like you look really masculine you love crossfit you love like sports you love you're quite assertive you're a ceo of a company you love getting like the best score at crossfit you're like pretty competitive and at the same time like 
really balanced because I I remember when we first got married, we both noticed like, oh, Eric cries more than Amy does. <laughs> like, and, and sorry, sorry to out you. <laughs> but seriously, like the, even the fact that I laughed and like I said, sorry to out you, right? Because it's yeah, still sure. a man wouldn't want to be associated with something that is feminine. Honestly, it's crazy. I can brag about going to CrossFit, but I mean, you I, don't I cry care. a lot. I, you don't care if you people know you cry, really but a lot care. of men would, right? They would not want to be known as being emotional because that's feminine. But anyway, but I just think to me to have people asking me like, you need to make tease out the difference between masculinity and patriarchy. I'm like, how are we still not understanding this? Patriarchy is men having power over women. It's, and even actually quite a, a man who's considered effeminate, for example, by the standards of today in our time and place, he would still have presiding status over a woman within, for example, our faith tradition just by virtue of being born biologically male. You d- you don't even have to be masculine to have that status. I, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I see these as just very different topics. Super different. Um, yeah, I, I, I do consider myself a pretty traditional man in the tr- in again, the traditional sense, which may or may not be good, but I I, I am the things that you described and I don't it's great. I don't feel threatened by women who are similar to me or women who are different from me. I don't feel threatened by myself of things that I do or don't do that are different. I guess it, for me, it just breaks down to the prescriptive nature of it. Like, don't tell me what I can or can't do as a man and don't tell women what they can and can't do as a woman. And then don't tell me as a man how I should or shouldn't be and don't tell a woman what she should or shouldn't be. Let let individuality and nature and DNA, whatever it is, let that make the dis- the decisions. But don't tell me what I can and can't do. Don't tell her what she can and can't do. And don't tell us how we should be. Men and women can be strong. Men and women can be emotional. Men and women can be not emotional. Men and women can be weak. Those are that is all okay. And men and women can you know balance ledgers. And men and women can you know create coronavirus vaccines as I think it was women who, who, who created some of them and, you know, women who landed rovers on Mars and did a lot of that work. And, um, it just, the, what, what people need to understand is breaking down patriarchy doesn't mean breaking the barriers between men and women so that you can't tell the difference anymore. That's not what this is about. Breaking down patriarchy doesn't mean that as a man, you can't be the kind of man you are anymore. And breaking down patriarchy doesn't mean that suddenly all women have to go to work and, you know, that all, that's not what this is about. Breaking down patriarchy is simply saying men and women have equal opportunities to be the people that they want to be. That means that they can get the jobs they want. It means they can go to school or not go to school. It means that they can have equal opportunity and that they can develop their individual traits as they best see fit. And a man doesn't have to feel bad about being a certain way. And a woman doesn't have to be feel bad about being a certain way or not being a certain way. That's the simple, simple part of this to me is it's breaking down the definitions of what a person should be and how they should be. Exactly. I love that. 
and and also as we've said before and deconstructing the system that where men take the central role of being the ones that can proclaim <laughs> the rules for everybody else right and i think that's i think one thing is that that we need to remember is that that has that has largely been erased from some places from, from yeah i was going to say from many progressive parts of the world yeah that it's men who get to decide that that's not true necessarily anymore it's still true inside of certain religions or or cultures but that's generally not true in more progressive places and where the world's headed but the other type of the norms and expectations and media driven stuff that still persists very strongly mm-hmm. um so even if the even if the lines have been erased in the in the books um it hasn't been erased uh in people's minds and and in their attitudes and i think that's why doing the work of going back and historically looking at all the foundations and roads of of what got us to where we are that's why it is important um it's one thing to say well we'll pave all the ra- roads going forward this other way and we'll pave on top of it but we still have all those we still have all those pieces and i know again as as a man i am very much just like all right let's move forward all right let's move forward yes pay men and women the same yes treat men and women equally yes go forward but i know that it's not that simple and i know that for me doing the work to understand how we got here is an important part one because it helps the women around me know that i care and listen and and, and that's healing for them and helps them move forward but two it also makes me um, actually learn the nuances of what needs to be done to move forward because it isn't just so simple as saying, all right, we're now we're equal. Let's move forward. It's just not that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is like the analogy you said with roads and cities. And I've used that analogy on the podcast and in the book cast in Isabel Wilkerson's book, which is again um, about race, but she talks about it's a similar analogy where it's a house. And if you had like, you know, structural problems in your house, you need to have an expert come in and look at the house before you start addressing it. Or if your body is sick, you wouldn't just take medicine haphazardly. You would need a a professional diagnosis to know what is going on in your body before you start coming up with a solution. And so to just skip the uncomfortable part by not looking at the history of how we got here isn't even responsible, right? It's just, and not, and it's not effective. For anybody. So, okay, that wraps it up. You're the best. Thanks for doing this. You're the best. Thanks for doing this, Eric. Thanks for doing this for everybody else. It was fun. Love you. Love you too. (laughs) All right, that wraps up this episode.